Oh, reason not the need. Our basest beggars are in the poorest things superfluous. Allow not nature more than nature needs. Man's life is cheap as beasts. Thou art a lady, if only to go warm were gorgeous. Why, nature needs not what thou gorgeous wearest, which scarcely keeps thee warm, but for true need. You heavens, give me that patience, patience I need. You see me here, you gods, a poor old man, as full of grief as age, wretched in both. If it be you that stir these daughters' hearts against their father, fool me not so much to bear it tamely. Touch me with noble anger, and let not women's weapons, water drops, stain my man's cheeks. No, you unnatural hags, I will have such revenges on you both, that all the world shall... I will do such things, what they are yet I know not, but they shall be the terrors of the earth. And you think I'll weep? No, I'll not weep. I have full cause of weeping, but this heart shall break into a hundred thousand flaws, or ere I'll weep. Oh fool, I shall go mad. Hello again, you're listening to the National Theatre Podcast and I'm Sam Sedgman, your host, your guide, your Shakespearean fool for the day. Welcome and thanks for joining us. You just heard from Simon Russell Beale performing part of one of the greatest tragedies ever written, King Lear. It's a towering play about kingdom, family, betrayal, but also about a man growing old and facing the decline of his faculties. Lear is an epic, demanding show, over three hours long, often seen as one of the greatest challenges an actor can ever face, and the role is often played by an actor of a certain age. Ian McKellen tackled it at 68, Derek Jacobi at 72, Laurence Olivier when he was 74, and John Gielgud when he was 90. Today, we're studying at the feet of the masters and asking, what can King Lear tell us about ageing? Now, if you're listening to this and you aren't a Shakespeare geek, if you're more King Fear than King Lear, don't worry, we've got you covered. We thought it would be a good idea to have a quick recap of the plot of King Lear to get you all up to speed. Now, I didn't want to spend too much time on this, but our producer, Emma, she was like, it'll be fine, it'll take less than a minute. And I said, there's no way you can tell me the plot of King Lear in less than a minute. And she said, we work in the largest theatre in the country. I bet I can find half a dozen people who can explain the plot of King Lear in less than a minute. And I said, bet you can't. And she said, challenge accepted. So here we are. She gave a microphone to our friend Nick. He's our go-to person for bothering people in corridors. And they came up with this. Hello, I'm Nick. I'm here with producer Emma and we are backstage at the NT and we're going to run around now and see how many of our colleagues will take part in our King Lear challenge, which basically involves telling us as much of the plot of King Lear as they can remember in 60 seconds. Hi, I'm Flo. I'm one of the producers on NT Live. Hello, yeah, I'm Judith Merritt and I'm head of talks and exhibitions here at the NT. My name is Hannah Griffith. Um, and what do you do here at the NT? Uh, I'm a senior corporate development manager. Great, and you're also our latest contestant on how much of King Lear can you say in 60 seconds? I am Cressida and I'm the major gifts manager at the National Theatre in the development office. How well do you know King Lear? Now, not as well as I thought I did. <laughs> I'm slightly worried. How are you feeling? Really nervous and really wish I'd read the play last night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, I'll give you three, three second countdown. Mm-hmm. Right, 
three, two, one, go. So Leah is an egotistical king and he decides to divide up his kingdom between his three daughters. Goneril, Regan and Cordelia. Cordelia is the youngest. And he asks them to prove who loves him the most. And the two older daughters, Regan and Goneril, are much more uh, political and savvy and give really clever, smart answers. Um, But Cordelia says, I cannot heed my heart into my mouth and she doesn't flatter him in the way he wants. And he's like, I don't have time for this. And in fact, banishes her for a good part of the play. And we don't see her again until she's dead in his arms. Spoiler alert. The two older sisters, they basically with their not very nice partners undermine the king. King Lear goes a bit mad because kind of he's just like you know struggling with kind of all the notion of kind of who do I give my money to? Who loves me? Whoa, the nature of life. He's got a good pal who is the fool. Halfway there. Who halfway says there. lots of funny there stuff. Then subplot Gloucester. Some subplot. The Earl of Gloucester's evil son Edmund is plotting to kill his father to inherit his title but he convinces Gloucester that his other son Edgar is going to kill him. So then he does so then what does he do? Um, the lovely Gloucester gets blinded. It's all terribly sad. But I should say before that, um, Edmund has been having an affair with both Goneril and Regan, uh, who knew that, that that would be so easy to do. Then what happens is Cordelia comes over from France with an army. Um, her and Leah are captured. They have a kind of reconciliation moment. Um, it's very moving. Cordelia's imprisoned and then she's executed and then that breaks Leah's heart and then that breaks Ten, my heart and then it's the best nine. tragedy ever written. Hey! Didn't even need the eight. I wish I could have had the A. What would I have added? Well done. Well done, everyone. That was amazing. I'm really impressed. Although, Emma, you did leave out the most important detail, which is that he dies. King Lear dies at the end of the play. That's quite important and probably something we will come back to later. Anyway, consider yourselves briefed. Now, the play as a whole handles many themes, but one is a meditation on age and on Lear's declining mental and physical health, as the younger generation betray him and he succumbs to madness. It's a mammoth role for any actor to take on, but as it's usually played by an older actor, we wanted to know how the experience of embodying Lear might change an actor's perspective on what it means to age and to face the kind of loss that Lear faces. So we wanted to talk to some people who'd played Lear before to come and tell us what it was like, and we followed standard National Theatre procedure to summon some great actors. We shone a picture of Shakespeare's face on the side of the National Theatre, and two lovely, legendary men showed up. Simon Russell Beale, who you heard from before, who played Lear here at the National in 2014 in a production directed by Sam Mendes, and Don Warrington, who took the role on at the Royal Exchange in 2016, directed by Michael Buffon. I asked Don, what is it about Lear that makes so many actors want to play him? I have to say for myself, it was not a role I thought of playing, really. Um, You know, people talk about it as... Um, as kind of pinnacle, but it, 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 it's just something that never occurred to me. And when King Lear was put in front of you, what yeah. what were your sort of first impressions when that idea was presented to you? Uh, fear. Ah. Absolute fear. I thought, um, you know, because because whether you like it or not, it comes with its history. And all these great actors have played it, and and it's notoriously difficult. So, you know, you, you, you basically think, can I do this? Can I pull this off? Um, so the, the initial emotion is, is, is fear. But then you begin to slowly, slowly have a look at it. What is very difficult is what you do after it. Yes. That's the hard thing, because you've done it. And, you know, most other things in that kind of area don't really 
compare, it, it, it keeps you up at night, really. What are you thinking? Um, how do I get there, basically? You know, because it's so complicated. You know, he's, he's, not a, he's not an easily defined character because he's so many things. He can be completely different from one scene to the next. As Don says, you can play Lear in so many different ways. So, of course, he wanted to get two former Lear's perspectives on this. Here's Simon Russell Beale. What makes Lear such a good day at the office? As in, what makes it a really good part to play? It's <laughs> a terrible day at the office. Because um, it seems on paper to be really horrible, really sad. Yes, well, I, well actually, that applies to all those big tragic parts. It's very, it's, un, yes, unexpectedly satisfying to go through that nightmare. I've never been asked that question that particular way, why it's sort of, why it's satisfying. Because it must be satisfying, otherwise yeah, no otherwise one would want to do, do it. it. Exactly, yeah. and people keep on wanting to do it. Um, I don't know what it is. I think it's about re- release. It's about being able to express things because uh, we all have angers inside ourselves. We all have disappointments and sadnesses and griefs. And and I suppose it's the chance to be able to express that fully in some sort of way. Something about the human condition is allowed to escape in the big Shakespeare tragedies, mm. isn't it? So at the end of it, you're just allowed to, to scream. <laughs> <laughs> with fury and you get the big catharsis and, yes and you get a big big some sort of therapeutic it's really interesting to hear you describe it as therapeutic in the sense that it's it's maybe almost yeah it doesn't mean it's not it doesn't mean it's not it doesn't mean it's not exhausting but it's a particular type of um there's a particular type of satisfaction in the exhaustion i can't quite describe it it's um it's like i suppose um doing anything like a you know a good squash match or a, or a a marathon i suppose a marathon or as don had it like climbing a mountain i i heard you describe um i think it was an interview i heard you describe um the role as like mount everest yeah and i wondered if you could sort of elaborate on that why do you think it's such a why would you compare it to such a a physically demanding uh, because, because it seems to me to be physically demanding. You do have to climb up. You have to climb up Lear because he is so monumental in that he goes through everything. He feels everything. Um, uh, and so in that sense, uh, uh, emotionally, internally, it is, it is a huge ascent. And it seemed to me Everest would, um, would 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 fit that description. But I guess also, as well as being hard, it's also probably quite fun. The challenge, I guess, you're you're it's it's the most one of the most interesting roles to play oh, as, yeah, as a craftsman, yeah, yeah. as an actor. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 fantastic. And when you when you're on it, you know, when when it's 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 happening, it's 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 wonderful. It's like surfing. A huge wave, really. It's it's because you're you're riding on such wonderful language, and not only language, but how specific the language is. The language pinpoints the feeling, and that's that's a wonderful combination. So we're talking about Lear as this old man, but what is old anyway? There's a reference in the text to Lear being 80, but you can really play him at any age you like. 
I asked Don and Simon when they played it, how old was Leah? I think he's the age he says he is. He says I'm 80. And I think he's 80. Um, You know, what does 80 mean? You know, it's that thing where he feels that he can, but he can't. Mm. His body has not, because he's kept it in good shape, it, he feels the impulse, but the action isn't there because because he's old and because the body is tired. So, yeah, so that's part of the tragedy. Probably 80 in my head. Yeah. Um, although the line was cut. Um, not because, unfortunately, I didn't look 80, because I think I probably did. Um, but I... Uh, uh, we thought it was safe to cut it because I'm in my mid-50s. I mean, Chase is always a bit vague on age, as you know, so, you know, in Hamlet, he messes around with it, doesn't he? So he's not quite consistent. But people died younger and were um, uh, regarded as old at 50. Hmm. I had a theory about the 80 thing that I wanted to run by you. Go on, then. I wonder if it's, like, how Noah is 300. It's it's a Methuselah is 900. It's a... A generic... Yeah, it's a sort of... He's really old, Really, really beyond... He's the oldest. Yeah. uh, And it doesn't really matter. But in a way that I guess when when we when we look at these roles now, we sort of want a little bit more close analysis over sort of what that means, and there are many different ways of yeah. No, I think you might you very well might be right. It's a sort of generic. He's really old. <laughs> One of my favourite titles of plays in the last ten years at the National have there was a play called Really Old, like Forty Five. Oh yeah, I love that title. I love that title. Really old, like eighty. Yeah. Age is relative. Not all 20, 50, 80-year-olds experience their age in the same way. Age is universal, right? We all have our own perspective on it, changing throughout our life. It's something that affects all of us. And hey, who's to say you need to be an old man to play this part? I've lived with Lear all my life, in a way, because I played him when I was 17. Played King Lear? Yes. How was that? Fantastic. Unwatchable, I shouldn't think. (laughs) And it is it, a major experience of my life, absolutely major experience of my life. Uh, and so when I came back to Lear, um, both when I played Edgar and when I played the, the man himself, the part was still, the, the words were still there. So it was a very odd thing. It's a very odd thing about the human brain that it just retains these words. And uh, I wouldn't have been able to quote any of it to you trying to get back to learning it and it all just came out very quickly so funnily enough when I did the the big first scene in Lear for Sam's production here um, I sort of knew it before I started learning it it was just there It's no mean feat to find all of Lear's lines hiding in the back of your head after 40 years but our brains are funny things when we're young learning things seems easy but as we get older it can get much harder Learning lines, of course, is at the heart of what an actor does. It's vital to the art of performing. So if you find yourself unable to commit your lines to memory, where does that leave you? Earlier this year, we had a show here at the National called Lost Without Words, which explored exactly that. It was a piece of improvisational performance put together by a theatre company called Improbable, which invited stage actors in their 70s and 80s to learn to improvise for the first time. I spoke to the directors of Improbable, Phelan McDermott and Lee Simpson, to find out how the show came to be. You'll hear Phelan first, and then Lee joins in a little bit later. Well, 
I had just moved to St Margaret's near Richmond and was walking along the street and there was a restaurant with a bench outside and I saw an actor on the bench and I went, oh my God, it's Trevor Peacock. Um, and Trevor Peacock used to uh, be one of my stage heroes when I was a kid because I used to go and see him at the Royal Exchange in things like Harvey. Uh, uh, and I saw him in his own shows that he wrote because he wrote... Uh, uh, musicals and things um, and I saw him in uh, Waiting for Godot with Max Wall and he's a, a was a wonderful stage animal a uh, very very great comic actor and uh, he he was sort of like oh well, well I, I, I don't I don't do that anymore I don't go on stage anymore and I said well why not he said oh, I wouldn't get past to be or um, and of course what he was saying was lines memory all that sort of thing which as one gets older it is of course one of the issues uh, one of the issues why people might not go on stage anymore and uh, it was great to meet him and I sort of went uh, went to rehearsals and spoke to Lee about meeting Trevor Peacock and then as I was talking we had this conversation where I said look these people aren't going on stage anymore because uh, Gambon was in the news for not going on uh, same thing lines and so on and I said look if the script is the issue let's just teach them to improvise. We've been teaching people to improvise for 30 years. What? There is no script to remember. And so it was kind of a joke. And then of course, often which happens with these things that you say, uh, you realize actually it's kind of an idea that one should pursue. And what was great about it happening here at the National was there was a, we got access to um, a whole bunch of wonderful older, actors because we wanted it to be actors not people who were used to improvising who, who was part of their kind of palette we wanted it to be people of the stage who had not done this before and uh, we had some interviews and basically tried to scare people away by saying no no we really will be improvising uh, and when they said things like well will there be a theme that will be no we'll be making it up on the spot and we got the chance to do that and it was very exciting once you've got those actors, our lost without words actors, our elders, once they got going in a scene, it was riveting, captivating, amazing, because their bodies are like machines of expression, perfect machines of expression. They just sit there and communication and emotion and psychology just pours out of them in a way that it doesn't. For even someone of my age, and I mean, I'm in my 50s, and I don't have anything like the experience that they have, their bodies and their faces just do that thing. They can't help it. So if you, when we got them into a scene and it got going for a while, it kind of just like blew you away, which was the kind of, was the positive side of all that, those years in all those rehearsal rooms, making, the, and you know, Let's forty-five percent of the lines they've been asked to say in their sixty years in the theatre have been rubbish. Probably, <laughs> they've probably had to make you know a lot of very bad writing look very good. <laughs> I was going to ask you, um, what kind of reactions you got from the cast as you worked with them, and you kind of, as you described it, opened up this new way of working that required them to unlearn. It sounds like they were all very open to it but I just wondered what how they expressed that to you the thing that at the end of our first little workshop we said we're not going to do a showing 
and uh, we just sat in a circle and uh, Phelan has a beautiful stone, orange stone and we start each day and we end each day by passing the stone around and when you're holding the stone you just say something. You're really making me sound like a wanker. <laughs> Phelan is a dreadfully pretentious wanker and I put up with this stuff frankly. I've put up with it for years and it's finally I get a chance to tell the world the sort of thing that I've been forced to do. So Phelan forced us all to do this. <laughs> uh, and the stone went round. And what, what the actors said was, um, and this was a surprise to us, they said, we feel listened to. Um, and there's lots of things inside that. Inside that is, previously, they hadn't felt listened to. So I think they hadn't felt listened to as actors. They hadn't felt listened to as older people and as older actors. Um, in this process whatever the difficulties and challenges and frustrations with not getting it the way they want to get it and the scenes going well and they're not going well um, underneath it all they said we f we feel listened to and they f so they felt visible had been invisible and now they felt visible and that was re really powerful I think um, and that's the thing that I remember most clearly about their response to the project yeah. when you spoke to Trevor Peacock mm. it was clear in your kind of discussion that the script was the main problem but you mentioned that there are other problems in I guess the machinery of theatre for yeah. older actors that they might rub up against and I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about what those were obviously if you have difficulty remembering lines that's a clear problem but there are there any other things about the way that a professional theatre is set up that can be difficult for older actors I mean there's a, there's a whole raft of 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 things really of course uh as one gets older uh you know you you become something that your career was then rather than now as it were uh add for instance add being a woman to that and you you're easily even easier to make more invisible i would say um and there's simple things about going on stage demands physical things that at a certain point if you're an older actor you go I'm not quite sure I want to do seven eight shows a week two matinees in the West End you know because I don't you know you know so uh, that is also why I think m maybe uh, these older actors don't end up on stage but then also for someone for instance like Georgie at one point she said well I've not necessarily got anyone coming to see the show because they're all dead <laughs> because her contemporaries you know her community of people aren't around anymore um, and that's ultimately what gives you access into the theatre is that so and I think we are a society that supports community less and less so that's another part of that whole picture and that's just I think that's just scraping the surface of what those what those those issues are I think there is something about improvisation which it opens you up to have a conversation with the world that you wouldn't normally do and you end up engaging with the world in a different way Improvisation offers you the terrifying variability of being able to tell any story you like without a script. But even when you have a script, 
an actor has to find their own way of interpreting the part and bringing it to life. And the more complex the part, the more an actor gets to stamp their own reading on that role. What was your way into the character of Leah? Um, my way in was, was I, I asked myself the question, um, what is wrong with him? Um, because he's ill. You know, I just thought, who would make such a decision? He can't be a fool. So there must be another reason why he decides to do what he does. And I started, and so the question was, what is wrong with him? And I came up with the idea that he was, um, at the, uh, he had the initial signs of dementia. One thing I wanted to talk about was um, madness and Leah. Um, obviously, we have a great deal more understanding about mental illness now than 400 years ago, and a, I think a great more cultural sensitivity to it than we did 10 or 20 years ago. And I just wondered how you feel that affects when we play mad characters from the, the classical canon, of which Lear is one, whether you find yourself rubbing up against the idea of of madness as it was written versus madness as we would understand it now. Um, Lear's a halfway house in terms of its writing, isn't it? Because uh, unlike poor Tom or Ophelia and Hamlet, in terms of, of Lear, as you know, I, I felt this was a very, and I'm sure... In fact, I know other Lears have felt the same. This is a fairly accurate description of dementia. Um, so, in a way, he's charted it quite carefully for you. The only thing he does do um, is make him recover at the end, which... Um, hmm. Or does he? But some people see a sort of recovery there, which is impossible with dementia. Um, but I think he, he sort of charts it fairly carefully as a piece of um, observational writing. The realities of old age aren't the only things represented in King Lear. It's also about how Lear's daughters, Goneril and Regan, treat him with contempt as he loses his power. In fact, there's a great parallel in the play between the older generation and the younger generation. The idea of remembering yourself as a younger man is really interesting, and one of the main themes in the play is the interplay between the older generation and the younger generation. Mm. Um, how did you see acting and performing differently uh, in your 20s compared to when you were okay. doing Lear yeah. in Manchester? Well, in my 20s, I mean, all actors say this, I suppose. Um, but in my 20s, in a sense, I was fearless. At least that's how it felt, that I could do anything. Um, and I didn't think about um, the consequence. But I think this is youth. I think that it's a good thing about it. So, you know, as you get older and more experienced, you begin to see all the possibilities, and with possibilities come pitfalls. And it's about how you navigate that sense. Um, you know, with age, you begin to... Fear is the thing. Fear begins to happen. Certainly in like politics today, you know, you've got an older generation and a young generation. They tend to be quite split on a lot of issues. Um, well, I think old people... Um, you know, a lot of old people tend to be a pain in the ass, really. 
No, because they, they don't remember. The problem with ageing is you don't remember how it was to be 20. And so, therefore, you treat 20-year-olds like they're, they're from somewhere else, but they're not. That was you when you were 20. And if only we would remember how we were, then we'd give young people a chance. And I think what's good about actors is that they keep a kind of youthfulness to them, mm. uh, uh, which means, in the main, that, 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 that you can still see the boy in them or the girl in them or the whatever it is, you know. Uh, and I think that's great. Actors might be full of youth, but one thing they have to do again and again on stage is die. Especially in Shakespeare, people die all the time. So how do they do that? Especially with Lear. Because his death is problematic. I do have what sounds like a really flippant question, but I mean it wholeheartedly. Your Why series of flippant questions. <laughs> Thanks. Why does Lear die? As in... Often when tragic heroes die, it's poison, sword, dagger, execution. Leah? Why does he die? I guess more, what um, choice did you make about when you had to perform that Well, it's, it's, it, well it's interesting you should locate that. The, the, in one of the versions, there are two versions, as you know, of the end of Leah's death, one of which is actually my heart breaks and he keels over. So you could... You could say that is quite specifically and literally his heart. Heart attack. The, the other version is the one that everyone uses because it's much more interesting, which is the one where he goes, look there, look there, over the corpse of his dead, of his, of his child. Um, and look there, look there is very often glossed as being... Uh, almost beatific vision, a sort of vision of 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 something in the heavens or whatever, or her mouth breathing, that she's breathing. In other words, it has a sort of false positive thing. Um, halfway through the, the performance, I just remember thinking, why? Why does, every, why, why does everyone think this is a positive thing to say, look there, look there? Couldn't he be saying, look at that? Look at that. The, the, this is what the world is about. The world is about looking at the dead body of your child. That's what the world means. This, this fucking awful place. That's what it means. Look there. Look there. And suddenly the whole play for me flipped on its head. And the answer to your question in that case is that he di dies because he has no longer any use or value mm. to be found in this world. That's as simple as that. There is nothing. There is nothing left once she's gone. Nothing left. He dies because I don't want to sound um, weirdly esoteric about this. <laughs> Go he, for it. He dies because he comes to understand something about his life. And that understanding allows him to let go. I think there's a strangely optimistic, because at the end he says something like, see, see, see. And you can interpret that 
as that he's mad, or he's actually seeing um, his daughter, and that's where he wants to be. That is where he's happy, and he's going there, and he just gives up his life. He decides no more. And I think in a way, in a way, it's a beautiful death. We're all going to die. Yes. You've practiced it you a few more times. You can say that cheerily then. because you're about three. <laughs> I can't say it so cheerily because I'm 50. What am I? Six. I'm a little bit further than three, but but uh, I, I will say it cheerily uh, in the spirit <laughs> of, of lightheartedness. Um, uh, how we old are, are you? We, I'm 29. Yeah, you see? You haven't, it hasn't entered your head yet. No, it's not. I think I'm going to live forever. You're yeah. right. Um, but we are, it is a truth, sadly, that we are all going to die and that you've rehearsed that quite a lot. I wondered if... <laughs> <laughs> you've quite famously died, died on stage. I've died a lot, haven't I? Yes, a lot. Died, yes. When you're performing a death scene, what happens after you die? What do you do when your character has ceased to be? Where do you go? You've just had this incredible emotional outpouring and suddenly you've just got to be still. What an interesting question. I mean, if I would be flippant back, it would be, <laughs> oh, thank God that's over. I really want a pint of beer. And I'm thinking that on the stage. But I don't think I do, actually. I think probably something rather profound happens when you're lying there, just for a few minutes. If you're lucky to die saying some of the most beautiful words ever written, mm. yeah, or having, for the last three and a half hours, said some of the most beautiful words ever written, I think probably it does do something to your brain. But I can't put it into words. I mean, you know, I don't sit there thinking, oh, I can't breathe and... Yeah. Oh, I'm not allowed to move, or or what's for supper? I really don't actually. So, presumably, I suspend. I suspend something in my head. You're still Leah, but Leah's not there. Yeah, probably. Nobody's ever asked that. It's a very, very good question. Yes, probably Leah's still there, but he's not. But but he's not. It takes a bit of time for him to go away. Mm. That's interesting. That's probably why. Everyone always says, did you take it home with you? And I don't really. I can be in bed in an hour after a show. <laughs> <laughs> that might be it. The, the, the luck of those sort of parts is that you die and you have a nice little time on stage. When <laughs> you have a nice little lie down. Yeah, it's yeah, like ten minutes when people can just talk about you and you can just fade away. So. <laughs> Would you ever go back to it and play it again? Yes. Yes? It was, qu it was quicker than you thought. It was. It? Why so keen? I would love to do it again. I'd do it again like a shot. Just because it's inexhaustible and quite a good time. Yeah, and because you lie at the end thinking, wow, I did that. Yeah, I would, I would. I mean, people have played it several times, and I think maybe one of the joys of doing it again is that the words are in there somewhere. And you can go somewhere else, you know. There was so much time just learning it, just learning it. So to have that there and then go on the journey um, seems to me to be a wonderful, wonderful trip. Mm -hmm. 
on a journey. But ours, sadly, is over for today. That's all the talk about King Lear and ageing that we have time for. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. You can leave us a review in your podcast app or tweet with hashtag NTPodcast. We do read all of them and we hope to share some of your feedback and questions on future shows. So please do tell us what you think. And as ever, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Tumblr by searching for National Theatre to keep up with all of our latest news. This episode was produced and edited by Emma Reedy and presented and co-produced by me, Sam Sedgman, with extra help from Nick Mulligan, our go-to person for bothering people with microphones. Our executive producers were Kate Moore and Sam Syke, and our music was by Alex Painter. A big thank you to Don Warrington and Simon Russell Beal, to Phelan McDermott and Lee Simpson from Improbable, and to all the amazing NT staff who helped us describe King Lear. Thanks for making it to the end of the credits with me. We'll be back in a fortnight with our next show, Until then, goodbye.